All right, Kiss Army. You wanted the best? You got the best. Now close your eyes. You're about to be podcast. Hello, welcome to your podcast, the official podcast of the Kiss Army. Uh, I'm Gary Schaller. And I'm Ken Mills. And we are so happy that you're with us. We've got a great show. Ken, I saw two great concerts in the past month. Tell me all about them. Well, the first one I saw was a kid's show. It wasn't um, a rock concert per se, but there was a lot of rock and roll in it. This was really something special, and it was uh, something called Gustafer Yellow Gold. And you're going to hear all about this. It's a multimedia, part music, part animation uh, thing that you can buy and listen to and watch with your kids. And it's very, very cool. Sounds good. Yeah. Uh, Morgan Taylor who is the the mastermind behind this. He's a KISS fan, he's a podcast listener, and um, now I'm a big fan of his. His his work is awesome, and, and there's a lot to talk about, so hopefully you'll enjoy the interview, and we're going to play some clips from Gustafer Yellow Gold as well. And then the other concert I saw was KISS in Sacramento at the Rock and Walk, and I don't even need to say how good that was. It was awesome. Tell me all about it. There's some people that were kind of surprised about the, for example, the table uh, seating situation. Can you maybe go into that a little bit? Yeah, well, you know, I, there's there's always things <coughs> to enjoy at a KISS concert, and there's always things that you could complain about at a KISS concert. And I think that's true probably for any any movie, any show, anything that you do for entertainment. There's going to be good stuff and bad stuff. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it's very fair to say. Um one thing I noticed that some people are saying Kiss had toned it down, but a gentleman who was uh, actually working the event, he he had spoke to one of the organizers, and she said that Kiss was the probably the easiest band she's ever had to work with. They asked him to tone down the show in some way, since it was kind of for charity, yeah. and uh, you know, so there were there were a couple things that came up missing. For example, the blood. And I think Lick It Up might have got axed for obvious reasons or unobvious reasons, depending on who you are. Right. Um, you know, so. And, I mean, you know, so those, you know, I think that everything happens for a reason. And um, it, I think a, a legitimate disappointment or a legitimate complaint that I heard from some people, um, including our friend Matt, who went to the show, um, you know, he said that he didn't know when he bought the tickets um, that there were going to be these tables set up. There was like charity auctions going on, and you know some of the high contributors, like the people who offered a lot of money to the charity, they they had sort of like great seats, but it wasn't concert seating. It was like these tables with waiters and waitresses, and um, as Paul referred to it, surf and turf dinner. Um, and so that was what was at the front of the stage. So people who spent a chunk of change to get like front row seats or whatever. They had front row seats to the tables. They weren't in front of the stage. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. How how would you have had the band handle it? Should they have announced this prior, or did the band even know about it? You know, who knows? And I think that um, you know, I think it's one of those unfortunate things where it it, it it may be the case that there was no better way to to handle it. You know, they they may, they may not have even known. However, you know, one of the things that was cool and and someone mentioned this on one of the message boards and I was glad that they did is that it wasn't like during the concert they were just sitting there eating dinner you know clinking their glasses together like those people got up from their tables and rushed to the front of the stage and it was a rock and roll party very cool very cool yeah no that's you know and and I don't think it would have been any other way I, I don't 
it would have been a very strange event had Kiss been playing to like a dinner crowd. It, it, and it wasn't like that at all. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know how the band could have handled it better. They may not have known, as you said. And ultimately, it, it really didn't matter. I, I, you know, again, I could see where if you bought those tickets, it was disappointing. But I didn't see or hear a hell of a lot of complaints when I was there. Um, and as far as like the complaints about what they cut down or cut back on, things they didn't do and didn't play... I think if they do a full-scale tour in arenas and 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 they're still cutting back on things or, like, neutering it or I don't know what, like, watering it down for the kiddies, then that's something to, you know, to bring up. But, like, this wasn't your average KISS concert. Look, it's not like KISS is going to stop doing the blood thing at any point or, or being lascivious uh, hedonist or anything. Uh I think that this was a special show, a one-off, and, uh, you know, for the rest of the summer, it's going to be the kiss you've grown to uh, know and love. Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, I mean, it's also nothing new, you know, when they were on, you know, whether, whether it was like the Jerry Lewis telethon, you know, in 1979, or they did the, like, the hospital visits when during the elder era, you know, like... They're not going to go do that stuff and and then you know start singing like you know lift your dress you want to impress you know like that's not what they're going to mix together mm-hmm. and that's fine you know it's it was still an amazing concert and you know what was cool was that I brought my sister in law and she'd never been to a Kiss concert before and she's what she's was 50. what was the reaction well she's fifty and um, She's, uh, my wife's the older <coughs> sister and she, you know, she sort of like grew up around Kiss but never was a, a big fan. <coughs> so, you know, inevitably she was turning to me during the concert saying like, oh, I know this song, I know this song, I know this song. Um, but mostly like one of the cool things that she said was, um, she did not expect, what she expected was that the, that Kiss would be sort of, um, you know, parading around the stage doing their thing and that there would be musicians playing in the background. Once again, going back to well, it's it's a gimmick and they're not real, and you know, the, basically oh, yeah. the the image that's haunted them their whole career. Sure, yeah, and instead, what she said was that you know, much to her pleasant surprise, you know, she said like these guys are really musicians, they're really up there playing, and she said, and they're good, and I was like, yeah, they really are good, um, and you know, she had a, a blast, and of course, for her, she wasn't looking at it with like what didn't they do, you know, she didn't know that they were gonna there was gonna be blood that they didn't do or that like they didn't fly out to the middle of the arena and that gene didn't go up to the lighting rig like if you don't know what you're missing you're just going to enjoy what's there well it just seems to be one of those situations where the people that went had a good time the people that didn't will still complain so we just leave it on to that and it was a great concert i i i had a lot of fun i brought a recorder with me so here's what i got Hey, it's Gary. I'm on the scene at Rayleigh Field in West Sacramento. And I gotta say, the place is packed. Families, people of all ages, I see kids in kiss makeup. It looks like it's gonna be a good time. There's definitely a lot of people here. Um, they had to open up parking way, way out in the, in the outskirts of the uh, parking lot where there weren't any kind of designated parking spots. They were just making room for cars in the dust. Hey, it's Gary, and who am I here with? 
Rebecca. Rebecca, you have very cool makeup on. Why don't you tell us about your makeup? <laughs> We're in Vinnie Vincent. I uh, dressed up as Vinnie Vincent my sophomore year of high school. Oh, very cool. So like two or three years ago, is that right? Uh, yeah. All right, rock and roll. <laughs> Uh, wait, none of us were uh, in high school then, were we? No. Okay. No, no. All right. Who who are you with? Heather. He Heather, is uh, either of you seeing Kiss for the first time tonight? Yes. Yes. Okay. And you? Uh, second time, but you know, long time fan. Awesome. Awesome. Since I was a tot. Okay. Very cool. And uh, what made you decide to wear Vinny's makeup? Just wanted to dress up like I did in high school and uh, after I put on the makeup I googled the image of him and came up with the story that came to light what about six days ago and was kind of like I don't know should I be dressed like this man after the allegations yeah. but you know it's still nostalgic so right it's uh, it's part of, he's part of an important legacy that we're celebrating you know and uh, you know he's a guy who does stuff and we hope he's healthy and well and you're here to celebrate KISS. You betcha. Rock and roll. Okay, anything you want to hear tonight? Uh, Detroit Rock City, I don't know, anything off uh, Detroit, uh, Destroyer, pretty much. Like, oh, Cold Gin, my absolute favorite. I, I think there's a pretty high chance of hearing both of those songs. And you, Heather? Anything. I like all of KISS. Awesome. Well, thank you both, and uh, have a great show. So I'm at Rayleigh Field here in Sacramento. This is Gary, and who am I here with? You're here with uh, Vinny Rincon. All right, very cool. And you are dressed head to toe in one hell of a spaceman costume. Tell me how you got this costume all put together. I got this costume from uh, an advertisement I saw on Kiss Online probably back in 09. So I'm head to toe in the, the Alive costume from 75. It's a very cool costume. Actually, the boots are amazing. How much, if you don't mind my asking, how much of this whole get-up cost? Uh, I spent 140 on the boots alone, and I, I don't remember how much for the jumpsuit, but I'm on my second pair of boots right now. All right, all right. So it's worth it, though. It's worth oh, it's it. it's worth it. All right, very, very cool, it. very cool. Well, what are you looking forward to tonight? I'm just looking for great entertainment, see my boys. No matter what the lineup is, it's still Kiss to me. So every now and then we hear that KISS is everywhere. And certainly their influence can be felt in all different kinds of places and different kinds of music. Uh, this past weekend, I went with my family to see a show that I was glad to bring my family to. It was for all ages, and my kids loved it. And it was something that was very unique, very different, and not necessarily something that you'd associate right away with KISS or the KISS Army. But the KISS influence was there. And the person who is responsible for, for it is a huge KISS fan, longtime KISS fan, and we're really happy to have him on the show. The show uh, that I saw this weekend is something called Gustafer Yellow Gold, and it's a multimedia performance that involves music and animation. It's incredibly creative, it's whimsical, it's fun for kids. I suggest everybody check it out. I'm very pleased to have Morgan Taylor on the show to tell us about Gustafer Yellow Gold and to talk about KISS.
ecstatic He's making when Slim gets dinner Welcome to your eyes For it's the sound of ages Sound ages Wrapped around your heart Morgan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Gary. This is this is uh, this is I'm, I'm pinching myself. I'm really on this thing. Wow. Hello. <laughs> well, yeah. Hi, mom. <laughs> nice. Well, we're glad to have you on. I'm really psyched to talk to you again. It was great to chat with you at the performance. And um, you know, for people who are listening who don't have any idea about what this is or or why they should care, um, Gustafer Yellow Gold is something that uh, is really transcendent. It goes into all kinds of areas of of um, art and music and, um, and theater. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got the idea and, and what it is? Well, I grew up in Dayton, Ohio, and uh, yeah, that's where I started my first bands. And I, I lived there from, you know, I was born and then uh, born there, raised there. And then I moved to New York City in 1999. And uh, yeah, all through the 80s and 90s, I was in my hometown playing in uh, bands with my friends that I was growing up with. And I was kind of cartooning on the side, you know, just for fun, really. You know, I, I was really interested in art and cartooning and comic books and, and uh, of course, Kiss as a as a eight-year-old in 1978, discovering them. Um, it was like this world of, of creativity and uh, just to kind of burst forth. What, when and, when um, was the... What was that moment of discovery for you, for Kiss? Like, when did they first enter your head? Well, it uh, it started, I mean, I've since researched, <laughs> uh, January 10th, 1978, when The Land of Hype and Glory aired. Nice. I was one of those kids who just happened to be flipping through the channels, and I saw it, and I was like, what is that? Right. And my mom was like, oh, turn that off. <laughs> And so I, she made me leave the room, and she made me, uh, said, if you want to watch that, go upstairs in our bedroom. And uh, so I, I walked up. <laughs> and you were like, good, <laughs> done. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, okay. And so I ran upstairs. Actually, I ran upstairs, and I turned the TV on. I, I remember the moment, because I, I wanted, it was like an old tube television. It takes about 25 seconds to warm up. Right. And I was like, hurry, 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 hurry. I don't want to miss this. And it came back on, and I, I, I and just as, there was a just a flash of gene spitting fire, and I and I was just so freaked out, right? And I couldn't believe it, and it was so exciting. And I remember going the next day to school, I was in third grade, and I said I saw this thing on TV. It was this band. They were called Kiss, and 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 I uh, let me draw you a picture of what I remember. And so I was showing my friends, I drew this picture, and it had three guys in it. There's only three guys I could remember. And um, and my one of my friends was like, oh yeah, Kiss. My my older brother has some Kiss records. So um, in my head, I I, it, I feel like the story must be like I went over to the guy's house the next day, but who knows when it was. Right. But I went to the house with this friend, and his older brother had um, some Kiss stuff, and their their walls were covered with posters. And I remember the moment I saw the 
it was the 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 booklet from Alive was was taken apart and stapled all over the wall, and nice. the the shot of Gene where he's spitting blood and you can't tell if it's his blood or if it's his tongue. Right. And it, like, and they were saying like, yeah, he's got a snake tongue, and you know, that's what all these like all the mystique came out all of a sudden about like the grafted on cow tongue and and all these crazy rumors that you hear. Right. Um, and like I think it must have been. Alive was the album that was out, or sorry, Alive Two was the album that was out right then. Sure. And so sure. they were playing, they, <laughs> they were playing the tracks from Alive Two, and it was my first time I'd, I'd listened to Kiss, and it was just my mind was blown. Yeah. I've 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 thought uh, you know several times that like Alive Two is a kind of perfect Kiss record with which to introduce someone to Kiss. Not necessarily that it's the best or that it's you know really live or anything, but. It's got all four of them singing. The packaging's incredible, and and the selection of songs is you know outstanding. Yeah, and just you know, of course, the the picture of Gene on the on the cover. Right. You can't you can't get more. Really, that's the scariest picture of him. If I think if you had a vote and you had to narrow it down, you take you know go on the the FAQ and take a vote. Find the scariest Gene Simmons picture. I think. The, the consensus would be that one, I bet. It's definitely up there, and just, he doesn't look like a human being. Was was Gene the no. guy for you? I mean, like, you know, that was it for me. Gene was like, what is this? This is, he's what roped me in. Was he the guy for you? Well, um, it was between Gene and Ace, and I, I had a, there was, I had a dear spot for Ace, because when I, um, when I drew that picture for my friend in third grade, I only drew three guys, and I realized later that I had left out Ace. And so I was like, oh, that's my guy. Right. And so I had this, this soft spot for Ace. And it was like, um, it must have been months later, when my room was plastered with Kiss stuff. Right. That I can remember, I remember the moment. I remember the picture. It's the picture of Ace. Um, he's down on one knee. It's, in there, it's, the, it's the photo shoot for um, the Alive 2 stuff, um, where he's, he's down on one knee. He's got his left paw. His, his, the, the sunburst. Right. And there's the lighted steps on either side, and I think there's blue light around him. Yeah. Or maybe a blue floor. Sure. And yeah, he's posing. And I remember looking at that picture, and I was like, that is what I want to do. You know, what's and awesome I, is it, what, what's so cool is that when I saw you perform this weekend, you know, I, I was maybe I was just kind of looking for stuff, uh, you know, that I, that I thought was kiss like, but. You know, some of your moves on the guitar are very ace-like poses. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, so it's there. And what's really cool too is that, um, you know, one of my kids, uh, you know, when I brought home the the Gustafer DVDs, you know, one of my kids said, like, "Wow, what is this?" You, you know, and and that's the same reaction I think that you had and that I had when we first discovered Kiss. It's like, what is this? Um, you know, and you've yeah. cre- I think you've created something that has a unique kind of draw to it um, visually and musically. But you know, we're, I want to get to that. But tell me more about you know, kind of the, the lead up to Gustafer. Um, uh, I played in bands for years, um, and uh, moved to New York in 1999, and I got a job as a sound engineer at a at a downtown music club, and I met my wife Rachel Loshak there, and she was a um, regular performer. And then I also played there with my own band too. And I was on this kick of writing. Right. And 
I started collecting all these, and kind of stockpiling all these songs. And some of them were these kind of humorous, whimsical, like first-person fictional songs. And I knew they weren't me, really, singing them, but I was creating this fictional realm just through these little songs. And it was about 2004 when the band I was in broke up and a couple of my guys moved to L.A. And I was like, well, should I, should I start another band or should I like, take a break? What should I do? You know, I was like in my, I was probably 34 at that time. I was like, do I really want to start another band and like, you know, try to do the whole thing again with like demos and managers and, and uh, showcasing, you know, because that's what, you know, the New York scene is like, you're either they're doing it or you're doing it to like try to get signed and showcase right. your band to record labels because that's where all the record labels are. And So what I was like, you know what, I need to take a break from this and I need to stop caring about that because it's, it's kind of ruining my creativity and I wasn't enjoying it the same way I used to. And it's not fun. It's not because I, what I realized was happening was I was showcasing at CBGB's every two weeks for like four or five months and they were just getting crammed on and off stage. You know, this it's a conveyor belt of bands, and you're like worried if the guy, if the guy from Island Records is here or not, and you know, you know, it's just like it. It was the band was getting stripped of its kind of originality. I was worried about do we you know, sounding commercial and all these things that you worry about. And you know, I was caring about like, oh God, do we look as hip as the Strokes? Right, <laughs> right, 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 and. Um, and all these things that kind of were like infiltrating and kind of diminishing what it really was about for me. Right. Um, which of course I wanted to always be uh, be successful and uh, make music, but I didn't realize that I was going to kind of enter through a different side now. Right. So what happened was, yeah, my wife was like, "Why don't you take a break and do that that kids book idea that you have?" So. What that does is that kind of ties together my cartooning and the music because back in 1997 I was a record store clerk. A great year, by the way, to be a record store clerk with all the remasters coming out. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, you get first first dibs at all that good stuff. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. So um, so I was one of my jobs was to write uh, the um upcoming upcoming releases on the marker board for the store. Right. So I, I would write, was writing out, you know, Boys to Men, uh, Fiona Apple, you know, right, right. whatever was coming. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and then in the, in the empty space next to um, the songs, or the album titles, I we started to doodle these, this yellow guy um, just in funny, doing funny stuff. It totally had nothing to do with records or music. But it was just this funny yellow guy. It had a kind of a cat face and a pointed yellow head. Then that was the birth of this character. Right. So then skip skip back to back ahead to 2004. I start drawing these picture books. So what I do is I start pilfering my stockpile of funny first person songs. I'm like, wait a second, I can put that yellow guy from I used to draw in these songs when I'm, I'm drawing these picture books. They're going to have a CD in the back pocket, and so that was that was the birth, that was nice. the genesis, and the the pairing of these two elements that were not together before. 
Right. So I had a character without a story, and I had story without a character, and then all of a sudden, wham, it was Justifer. You write the music and the lyrics, is that right? Yeah, yeah. Awesome. I write, yeah, I write all the stuff. And for those, and, um, for people who are listening who haven't, you know, who who, who haven't checked this out yet, what what is Gustafer Yellow Gold? What is he? Okay, yeah. Well, Gustafer. Well, the story is um, Gustafer came from the sun, and he landed in Minnesota. And <laughs> technically, he is a solarian. I guess uh, his genus or whatever you, uh, his species. Right. Solarian. And um, he wanted to leave the sun, and so he came down to Earth in a vehicle called a Sun Pod, and he landed in Minnesota, and he started meeting all these other creatures, and he built a little golden brick chalet on the edge of the woods, and he lives out this explorer's life. And that's what all these little songs are based on. Hey, I am from the sun. I told everyone I lived on the sun. I worked starting young, mowing golden yards, climbed every rung, earned a living on the sun. Washed scalding car. I saw the steam rise up into oblivion. Did I say I am from the sun? I told everyone I lived on the sun. On the sun Nighttime is no fun When you don't know when it comes No winters on the sun No snowflakes on your tongue You watch the clouds rise up Into oblivion Did I say I am from the sun I taught everyone I lived on the sun I'll be buried in the sun Travel through its veins Where I'll circulate Through a sunspot I'll escape You'll watch my soul rise up Into oblivion did I say that I am from the sun? I told 
everyone I lived on the sun Hey, I'm from the sun I taught everyone I lived on the sun Right, and there are all these like encapsulated moments of 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 a life of curiosity. The, what you just said, like a life of curiosity, like that's exactly what strikes me about it. Is that it's just it's like read, it's like Walden almost, you know, kind of like you know Thoreau at Walden. You know, it's Gustafer uh, discovering what our world is like and like what nature is like, and you know, of course, through his unique lens, like he sees our world and all the things that it has to offer, but also these kind of like strange encounters that he has. I mean, you, you know, and you were talking about kind of the humor of it. One of my favorite things is Panther Stamps Pants. Can you talk about Panther Stamps Pants? <laughs> Panther Stamps Pants is um, a song that is sung by Gustafer's best friend, uh, the Pterodactyl. The Pterodactyl is, uh, he is fashion obsessed. It's one, it's the way one of the jokes I say during the show is that that's that's the best way to stave off extinction <laughs> is by a sharp sense of fashion. Right. <laughs> and so so uh Forest Applecrumbie yeah, Forest Applecrumbie is the name of the pterodactyl. Right. And the song is about him uh lamenting the loss of his favorite pants um that were struck by lightning. Right. Destroyed on the on the on the clothesline. Dry eyes today, so much I need to say. Oh, my panther stamps, pants are gone away. Safe out on the line, I dry them all the time. Oh, my panther stamps, pants are gone away. Panther pants can't have gone away. When I see the ghost of their past, no, I never last. I can't erase all the ache, it won't leave me fast. Used to spend the day folding shirts, boiling eggs, but my panther stamps pants have gone away. Matched my satin vest 
Slattered all the rest Oh my panther stamps Pants are gone away Panther pants can't have gone away Get on with my days, the morning blacks and grays. Oh, my panther stamps, pants are gone away. Shrine is in its place, the heaven has been graced by my panther stamps, pants are gone away. My panther pants can't have gone away. My panther stamps, pants are gone away. songs about him kind of coming to terms with the loss of these awesome bell bottoms. And they're made from stamps. They're made out of stamps. Yeah, pa- they're panther stamps stitched together into a pair of bell bottoms. Now, here's, and, uh, here's where it all comes together, I think. Uh, you know, one of the places where I think it all comes together that you are a KISS fan doing this amazing thing, which is that um, you, know, you have to kind of let go on some level, to be able to just create uh, with with this kind of abandon, and and I, what I mean by that is that you know on the ride home from seeing Gustafer uh, for the first of what I hope are many times, um, you know my wife and I were talking about it, and, and we were talking about like it's kind of like the Beatles, it's kind of like Sid Barrett, you know, just kind of songwriting that doesn't have to uh, you know mean something quote unquote, and what I flash back to. Um, is the land of hype and glory, right? You know, because there's that moment where he's talking to Gene and talking about the, the quote-unquote meaning of being on stage and vomiting blood. When you pretend to be vomiting blood on the stage, what, what, what are you expressing with that? Why are you looking for meaning where there is none? What we're trying to do is to put on fantasy, live, walking, exploding, vomiting, just smoking. everything smoking fantasy live on stage you know and that you know and that not everything has to have a meaning if it has a meaning to you that's enough meaning and if it resonates on a kind of visceral level with the audience that's all it's got to do that's true right yeah you know and i now i'm not making a comparison necessarily between you know what's in gustopher yellow gold and gene simmons spitting blood because they're it's a pretty different aesthetic but um gary gary why are you looking for meaning where there is not right exactly yeah for people to kind of get a sense, the show is a musical, a live musical performance with you playing guitar and singing, and you know some music that you've recorded in the background, and a and a big screen behind you, on which your animation is projected that goes right along with the the song that you're singing. That the words are at the bottom. There's this terrific animation with your drawings. Um, how did you know, how did the animation come about? Who did it? Uh, my animator, uh, his name is Jason Connolly, and I'll, I'll shout him out by name. He uh, is, he's a great animator. We found him. Um, he actually works uh, 
a Food Network. He's an animator for Food Network. Nice. Uh, he does he does all the the splashy you know titles and intros and animation, and um, so we found him, and I found out after a, after a year or so that he is a Kiss fan too. Whoa. Yeah, he's a huge Kiss fan. He grew up with it too, and and the funny thing is, um, I'm, I'm sure we'll get to the the song the the actually the full on Kiss tribute song I did called Beehive. Oh yeah. Um, well, it was a pleasure because I, I when I gave him the the Alive Two Gatefold um, replica inside the Beehive stage drawing, I said, "You know what to do with this one." Right. <laughs> and I gave, and he put extra. He had flame effects that I never knew he had, and all kinds of stuff. <laughs> right, right. As he he went to town, I'm like, okay, the four Z's in the band's logo need to flash one at a time, one at a time cross and then all four all at once in a pulsating sequence you know <laughs> the way it's supposed to go right and he nailed it he did it exactly the way it's supposed to do it it was perfect and, um, I, I mean I, I saw it this weekend and it was it was perfect and you know what this is is that in this part of gustopher's adventures um you know he shows up at a he wants to see inside of a beehive and of course the bees are having a concert and the band is like a, a bee version of kiss now they're not like dressed up like kiss but the stage is the Alive 2 stage, uh, with, you know, complete with the levitating platforms for the guitarists and the drums. Uh, the drum riser goes up, and you even, you, know, you even nailed it with the fact that the, when the drum riser went up, you had the tapestry hanging down with like a, a picture of a bee on it. I mean, it was perfect. <laughs> well, well, hold on. No, it's, uh, it's even geekier than that, because what I did was, um, well, you know, well, Peter is a cat, but his, uh, his tapestry is alive. It's a fierce lion, right? Was what it? I did was, <laughs> the, the, the drummer is a bee, but his, tas- his tapestry is a wasp. Nice, nice. <laughs> right. And the guitarist has, the, the, the bee guitarist has a smoking guitar, which I thought was great, too. The smoking acoustic, yeah. The, the smoking uh, Martin Mahogany acoustic. <laughs> right. Now, all of this is stuff that you don't have to... Um, wait to see. I mean, all of this is stuff that our listeners can get now, right? And so it's on DVD um, with all of this cool stuff. How do people get it? Well, um, we are available uh, on the regular online uh, places, Amazon and iTunes. You can buy, if you want to buy just the music, you can get that on iTunes. And they have a selection of some videos that but if you want the whole DVDs, which each DVD comes with a DVD and a CD, uh, just the music as well, um, you can go to GustopherYellowGold.com, and we have all of our stuff there. And I'm pretty sure we're in most Barnes and Nobles and Borders. Right. And that's the thing too is I didn't even I mean I don't know how you know how in depth we're going to get, but basically my wife and I started our own record label. Yeah. To to put out Gustopher stuff because we just, you know, we had both been kind of also, she'd been through the mill as, as far as like um, doing the whole showcasing and all that New York stuff. And she is really, she's a great singer, songwriter in her own right. Right. Rachel Loshak. If you guys, anybody likes um, kind of uh, dark madrigal classical melody pop songs with just bass and voice, because that's what she does. Right. Um, Rachel Loshek. And we were briefly with uh, a record label 
And we we didn't even sign with this label, um, but um, what happened was we ended up kind of in this uh, holding pattern, waiting and waiting for con- these contracts to come through, or while lawyers are waiting to get back. And all of a sudden, we're like, screw this. God, like the second DVD is ready to come out, and we're, these guys are talking about putting out the first one, and waiting and waiting. Right. And we ended up being like, you know what? We can do this better ourselves. The only difference between us and them is there's would be some money behind it. Right. But let's do this in a way that we can manage and just build it ourselves because then we'll always just own it, all of it. So you know? smart, too. I mean, you know, you guys you guys did it so well. So we're both graphic design-minded. Uh, my, my sense of aesthetics matched with hers, and it's like I know what I'm bringing as far as, like, what I want the logo always to look like, you know? And right. I definitely got that from Kiss, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, once a logo, always a logo. You know, Gustafur, all, all Gustafur packaging is, is the Gustafur logo with Gustafur on a white background. And, nice. it, and it stands out. It pops, as they say. Yep. And, and I don't know if you noticed the, the, the red to yellow gradation in all my logos. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely, uh, Love Gun is the one. Is Love Gun? No, Destroyer has the orange to the yellow. Let me see. Let me see. Hang on. <laughs> Quick reference. I think it, I think it's Destroyer. Because right. you know what? I mean, all that stuff seeps in. You know. You know, my wife is not into Kiss, and actually, we're together in spite of it. <laughs> <laughs> I can relate. Um, I, I can relate very well. <laughs> here's 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 a funny thing. I don't know if any listeners can relate to this. Uh, right when Rachel and I started dating. And Rachel, she's Rachel's from England, and she's English. And she was telling some friends, "Oh yeah, I'm dating this American guy, and he's really nice, and his name's Morgan." And I'm like, well, "What's he like? You know, what kind of music does he listen to?" And she's like, "Well, he really likes Kiss." And they're like, "Dump him now! Oh, Get God. rid of him!" Oh. Oh. <laughs> so, but she's like, "No, you don't understand." That's and that's the thing. Is like, I don't know. I think. It makes you want. It makes you hold it as your own even more. You know, I think. I think that is the powerful thing about Kiss fans is that there is that um, you, that that thing you come up against, where the whole Kiss sucks. You know, and people having said that to you in grade school, making fun of you because you're a Kiss fan. Right. You know, it, it, it's true. You know, either you love it or you hate it. But if you're in the middle, get out. Well, yeah, I, like, I I met my wife, and she she was. Uh, she had been a college radio DJ, you know, and I was like, all right, this is either sink or swim here because I'm either going to say kiss and she's going to say like, oh, cool, you know, they're, they're so influential or she's just going to be like, oh, you know, Christ. And, uh, it, you know, it was it was a little more toward the toward the oh, cool. Um, she puts up with it a lot, let's say. She's not a fan, but she puts up with it. It's hard to throw on Animal Eyes and kind of just... <laughs> You know, have someone groove over "Burn, Bitch, Burn." You know, in, in, <laughs> you know, it's 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 hard to throw an animal eyes and have someone groove over that song. You know, even if they're a Kiss fan, that one's got it all in the title. Like, there's not much you need to know about that song. The title says it all. That's true. Yeah, and um, you know, I, I that's kind of a lot of the way I, I came through the I came through the Kiss gamut, and I, I. I was a huge fan, and I was there from the 78, and I probably, somewhere in the middle of 1980 or 80, 81, probably right when you came on, 
right. board. Uh, I was, I kind of bowed out. Well, I, I, well, I didn't kind of bow out. I, I, I had a backlash, and I was like, I don't need this stuff anymore. And I, and I burnt all my posters. Oh no, you didn't. I did. And ah. the, the thing, I know. And of course, you know what? I, I had all those, the, you know, the five foot wall posters and the uh, stuff that I'm just like, like kicking myself. But I didn't just roll it up and stuff it in the attic. I thought I was cool and that I would never want it again. But I didn't understand. Yeah, I was 10 years old. And I also probably had peer pressure because my neighbors didn't like it. And they're like, screw that, man. Rush. Right. (laughs) Or or Zeppelin. You know, the stuff that, you know, I ended up liking as well. But it didn't mean that I had to get rid of my kiss stuff. Right, right. Yeah. So... The backlash for me was around Pink Floyd, you know, where I think once you get into a band like Pink Floyd, it's not so much like this versus that, but I felt like Pink Floyd was so immersive that, you know, my brain had to take a break for a while. So for me, it's like I had that, um, my backlash, but then after I started playing music and playing in bands, it's like 1986, uh, we were like playing, we play some originals and some covers, and I was um, back, I kind of started uh, hanging out with some old friends again who were also into KISS back when I was into it. And they're like, you know what? We should cover uh, Love For All I Can off of uh, Just to Kill. Right. Like, That'd be fun because, you know, I, I had, you know, practiced guitar and I got to a point where I could play Love For All I Can, you know. And so we got it out and it was really fun. And I was like, you know what? I was all of a sudden... I was listening to all this music that I was, it was so ingrained in my brain, but with uh, my a, a brain that was six years older and more musical and more knowledgeable of music and being like, wow, this stuff is really great. Like oh, yeah. I'm listening to it with, with different ears and it wasn't, you know, because I think what it was is like, what I probably went through was what a lot of like the 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 initial hardcore fans from like 74, 75, 76 went through in 78 when they were like, you know, screw kiss, you know, you can have these, these trading cards. Right. They're all, they're turning all bubble gum. Look, they made this, this stupid movie and I'm out of here, which I right. think was what ha- probably happened in the, during that crossover period. And, um, it was, I think, uh, definitely an interesting part of, of, of the kind of the development of the fan is like the in and out part. Yeah, we we had um you know Joe Casey was on recently the comic book writer and he said something about how um you know it's kind of important to you as you're developing as a fan to have those moments where your fandom is challenged you know and I forget what he said but something about like developing the critical faculties uh, to where you know when the elder came out. Um, you know, he likes it now, but at the time it was just sort of saying, you know, I, I can like Kiss and not like this album. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Th- I mean, that's what yeah. happened to me with Asylum. I remember when that record came out and I was just like, eh, eh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Mm. Well, cause yeah, you know what? That, um, I remember, um, uh, the moment when I, I saw Unmasked, the, the Unmasked cover kind of, I was turned off by it and I, but I had a uh, my friend who I grew up as you know fellow Kiss fans, um, and uh, he was a, compl- a completist record collector. Okay. But he just kept he kept buying them, 
And I so I kind of was kind of keeping track of Kiss peripherally. Right. Through Unmasked. And then, you know, the, the next album, it was just had a hand on the front. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, what? What are they doing now? Right. And, uh, you know, and then Preachers. And then, I, you know, then I kind of saw the articles in the newspaper about about Eric Carr and, and like, oh, Peter's gone. Right. Um, you know, and I was watching, and then you see the thing, articles about the new guy. Like, oh, look, there's a wizard in the band now. <laughs> and, you know, and stuff like that. It's sort of like I, nothing was really pulling me back in. Right. Um, but then, yeah, so later in the 80s, mid-80s, late-80s, I'm like playing music, and I'm in bands, and I'm writing music, and I'm really, really practicing the bass a lot, and um, playing. Now I'm a bass player in bands, and all these things where I started to kind of reapproach some of these old Kiss records and realize um, and listen to them with different ears. And that's when I, I gained kind of the next layer of appreciation over the top of my kind of my old Kiss heart. Right. And um, it's when you start to listen to the music as music and kind of go, well, there's a reason why I love this. Yeah. And the thing is, it's just like coming, it's just broken down to its basic nuts and bolts it's just pop rock yep no yeah they you know they wanted to be the heavy metal beatles and they kind of did that you know right um i mean on on a, on a scale you know of of popularity i mean obviously it wasn't the same but they just wanted to write pop songs and that's all they ever wanted to do you know you listen to wicked lester they were trying to sound like three dog night and whatever was popular around those times you know Exactly. They kind of they have they they hit a great stride with their version of you know the the Slade rock, and it and it and it was just that super pop. You know that so, you yeah, so I, you're making a great point that I don't think we've made on the show before about like what it means to make pop music, which is that um, you know pop pop is short for popular, and you know Kiss get accused of being followers, and you know they go where the trends are. But that is what it's about when you make pop music. You know, you're making music for the masses that's appealing to a lot of people, and they did it so super well. Well, the thing is also, and you, and, uh, when you listen to like really like the old like the the Gene Klein forty five, right? Um, he is like you can tell he's got he's got the palette, he's got the chords, and he's like trying to figure out how they hook together, and he's really ambitious, and so he figures out a way to, to put these songs on vinyl, but his craft isn't quite there yet. But you can tell his, the seeds are there and the palette is developed cordially. Right. And he really wants, you can just listen, you can just tell he wants it to work so badly. Yeah. Um, isn't it how, you know, as, as songs, they're kind of meandering, but he's really giving it a shot. And you can, you know, you can hear it in there. But, you know, it wasn't until, you know, the right four guys got together and pulled and pushed each other just enough that they brought the best out of each other and all these great songs are coming out. Right. Going back to Gene for a second, you know, you, you, um, something that occurred to me that while I was watching the, you performing, you know, the Gustafer Yellow Gold show, um, and I even wrote it down, was the, the kind of the issue of the experience of an immigrant, you know, and, um, wow. you know, Gene is an immigrant uh, the the story of Kiss is that Ace is an immigrant from another planet, and you know Gustafer is an immigrant from the sun, you know, and and I think part of what's 
fascinating about Gustafer's world is, you know, like we talked about looking at our world through his eyes, um, you know, and, and that's certainly like a part of what's interesting about Kiss too, I think, is um, when you see them on the cover, I, I think it makes an ordinary kind of like cock rock song like Love Gun or, you know, um, uh, Got Love for Sale more interesting because you realize it's not just about like, you know, here's a song that could have been a, um, a I don't know, a fog hat song. It, it's interesting because it's coming from that face, you know, the people with those faces. It, it keeps the, it keeps the playing field nice and big for me. Right. Because, um, it's a world, it's basically he, it's a world of exploration and anything goes and any behavior goes and you can, you know what I mean? He can break rules and right. he can, um, really forge his own path. Because he, he, you know, there's nobody guiding him. So, yeah. so yeah, he he's exploring a foreign land, which is, um, you know, the Minnesota woods to us. But to him, it's like this whole. It's like through the the eyes of a child who's been kind of set loose in the forest. It's similar to the way the way that, that Gene Simmons was was unleashed on the the, the wild forest of American women. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, somewhere Gustafer's got a very different Polaroid collection, I guess, right? <laughs> of pine cones. Right, exactly, that's right, yeah, 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 he's a big fan of pine cones, right. Um, you know, see, this is, where, this is where you're very glad that I'm not a Freudian psychologist, because we could have a field day with that, but, you know. Um, yeah, we won't go there. Right, 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 no, see, I'm not, so we're good. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, I... I you know, that's what's also so cool about, you know, you said kind of like opening up the playing field, like anything goes. I think watching it as a parent and sitting there with my kids uh, was really magical because it, I didn't know what was coming next. I didn't know what to expect. And um, I don't think they did either. But, you know, for, for kids, that is the experience. Like, Gustafer is very much a child, right? He's sort of experiencing a anything goes. Like, a anything could happen in his world. Right, and that that is really kind of the the crux of I think how I feel like I ended up talking to you because to me the what Kiss represents to me is they're kind of like a badge and like an icon of my my creative awakening as like a seven eight year old boy. That is why I'm so still enthralled with them, and because that part of my brain is still so awake and constantly used for my creativity. Right. And so you know, I've got all my you know every all these kiss photos I've collected off the internet on in my rotating screensaver at home, and and they're constantly going while I'm sitting there drawing Gustaver, and, and once in a while I'll you know I listen to a lot of music when I draw. And I'll, you know, put my all my kisses in iTunes, and, and including all my, you know, bootlegs and interviews and, and everything I have. Nice. All on, on, you know, it's fun to put it on uh, shuffle. Um, right. And uh, it's all there. So, really, yeah, that to me, it's sort of like kiss is that uh, represents that part of my youth that I'm like still very attached to. And you've got to love as a kiss fan. 
the fact that you're now part of a like a multimedia performance thing that not only has the music and the visuals, but you can actually buy a Gustafer Yellow Gold doll. Right. You know? And, and and that's not a small thing. Like I was, you know, I'm, maybe this is sort of me projecting here, but like I was thinking about that at, at the show too. I was looking at the merchandise table saying like, you know, this guy's created a character that's iconic and has like a, a stuffed animal uh, that kids can buy. And, and that's got to just be so cool. It is. And you know what? The stuffed, the, well, I, I don't call it a stuffed animal. I call it a boneless action figure. <laughs> and, uh, and it's it's by far the the biggest selling item that we have. Awesome. You know, people want the the thing. They want the guy. Right. And um, and it's great because it's tactile, and they can they can have their they can have their own imagination about it. I think I saw you toward the tail end of this recent tour. Is that right? Yeah. Well, this uh, the West Coast leg. Okay. We have, we're going home after, uh, see, we get one more week out on the road, and then we're going to be home for three weeks preparing um, for a summer tour, and I'm actually in the middle of drawing uh, the next DVD that should come out next spring. You're, you're creating, you know, with one DVD, you know, what most artists and illustrators don't create in a lifetime. Maybe, you know, between my wife and me, we've we figured out how to do this as a job. Right. And I feel so lucky because it's like, I get to do this. You know, it's creative and it's a blast and it's, it's what I would do. I would do it for free and that's what it comes down to, man. Just writing catchy songs. Right. And, you know, I think that's, that's what, that's what Kiss did too. And there's nothing preachy in, in Gustafer. Like you're not telling kids to brush their teeth or, you know, anything. No. It's, it's really just like songs that are cool to listen to and, you know, anyone who's listening and I know we have a lot of, um, people listening who have kids, really owe it, you owe it to yourself um, because you love music and because you have kids to get Gustafer Yellow Gold music in your car because your kids will like it and you will thank, you will thank Morgan and you will thank the podcast for music that you can <laughs> listen to that won't make you want to pull your hair out. I'm very lucky right now because my kids are really into old school Sesame Street so it's, ah. you know, it's not so bad. I mean, you know, like, God help the parents who had to go through kind of Barney and all that stuff. But, like, old school yeah. Sesame Street is amazing songwriting. But I'm really pleased to add Gustafer to the, you know, to the um, rotation because I think my kids love it and, and I think it's amazing. You know, I, I hate to wrap up the interview because I, I feel like I could talk Kiss all night. You know, what you and I discussed when we met uh, this past weekend is having you on a roundtable or several roundtable discussions that we do on the podcast. Um, are you up for that? I would be honored, man. I I listen. I didn't know if I did. I even say up front like I'm a huge podcast fan, and I think that you and Ken and, and the, all your peripheral dudes are amazing and do an amazing job. And I can't believe you guys are up in the number in the forties doing these. It's just crazy. It's so good. The the content it's, it's always interesting. And you guys do such a good job, all the interviews, and the, the people that you find, you know, from the KISS world, old and new, uh, it's really impressive, and I am a devout fan of, of you guys. Oh, well, th thank uh, you. The feeling is more than mutual, and I'm really excited to have this um, interview on the show, and I'm, I'm really psyched to tell everybody about Gustafer Yellow Gold, because, you know, if you like KISS, if you like music, you know, just go and check this out, get these DVDs, listen to these songs. It's wonderful stuff, and um, we're going to have you on really soon again. So thank you. Thanks, Jerry. Bye.
Now let's check in once again with the hottest band in the land. This is Kiss in Sacramento in 2011 on Podkist.
So, Ken, we had the New York, New Jersey Kiss Expo uh, a number of weeks ago, and Mike Mayocker, the podcast correspondent who we've had on the show many times, he was there, and i got to hand it to Mike. He's a trooper. He recorded some great interviews and audio clips that we're going to be um, featuring in the show. And, you know, some of the stuff is a little rough to listen to because there's so much noise at a Kiss Expo, but he got some great stuff, and we want to share it with you. So give this a listen. Here's Lisa Jane Persky, Dirty Deke from Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park, talking to you exclusively on podcast. My name is Mike, and we're here from Podkist, and we are talking to Lisa Jane Persky, Dirty D from Kiss Meets the Phantom of the Park. And we're here at the Kiss Expo in New Jersey. And how was your day today? This is the um, New Jersey, New York uh, yeah. Kiss Expo. I had a great day. It was I, it's so satisfying and gratifying to meet the fans. That's what I live for. I think like most people who who are actors or um, who, you know, toil in the, in the void without the people who actually see this stuff. Uh, it gets a little lonely, so it's nice to come out and, and meet everybody. And, um, and today was really exciting for me because I brought my friend Victor. Yes, Victor Staben, who, who did the... Did, who did the Unmasked cover. Yes. Right? And, and how I, I came to um, actually invite Victor, because Victor and I went to high school together, um, he graduated ahead of me, but, but um, I was always a fan of, his, of him as a person and his work, and um, I actually got him his first job ever. What was that? It was um, an illustration for a magazine that my dad was the editor of. Oh, wow. And um, so, so but, but what I'm getting to is that the reason we, we got together, again, Victor and I, is because I saw on pod, when I went to podcast to get the link for my interview that I did with Ken and, right. and Gary, um, I saw that Victor had done an interview and I went, what? Right. Like, there's another person who, who probably even knows less about Kiss than I do. <laughs> That's very cool. <laughs> That's my old pal Victor, what? So I, so I listened to the interview and then when they called me to do this um, convention, the expo, I, I called, I, I said to him, you know, maybe you should invite Victor, and um, I called, let me t- let me talk to Victor about it, and I called Victor, and, and anyway, that's how he's here too, so it's great, the two of us got to be here together, and he's so talented, and it was just a really fun, that was a really fun element. That's very cool, um, and this is your first convention today? It's my first, con- well, I did one mini convention for Quantum Leap. Okay. And that was a charity convention, so I sort of that was that was my entree to the convention world. But other okay. than that, I, I haven't done any, and this is my first Kiss one. Oh, very cool! And I love the fans. I love the I love the, the vendors. Really good um, setup here. That's a very good vibe. Um, this is actually the first one it's been in this area for several years, so I think a lot of people are very excited and well, having were, people like yourself that normally aren't at these type of things I think was very cool. There were people from all over the world though. It was oh, very absolutely. interesting to, to, I know. to yeah. see that. I don't know where this one particular lady was from but she was buying everything and I couldn't understand what language she was speaking but she apparently had a, a visa card that worked very well. <laughs> yeah, no, people were going out of here with more than they could carry. Oh, definitely. Now, were there any unusual requests from you today, or did anything strike you as odd? I was kind of surprised that more that, that 
for the, most of the day, no one asked me to sign any of my, you know, famous lines from the movie. But then, then some somebody came and, and asked me to to write, you know, Chopper don't hurt nobody unless he wants to. <laughs> and I did. I said, you know, it's odd. No one's actually asked me that yet. And he was like, that's ridiculous. But then the rest of the day, everybody asked me. So it was like he turned on the phone. Yeah, yeah. He let it go, and yeah, everyone yeah. else followed suit. Yeah. Um, now, going forward, would this be something that you'd want to do again? Oh, yeah. I, I met Lydia Chris, she's really great. I always wanted to meet her. And, um, you know, just so many people that I definitely want to see again. Very cool. I'd like to ask you, uh, how did this differ? I'll tell you, for the last five or six years, a lot of them, a lot of the expos focus on a particular member of KISS and uh, from the past, or actually like Eric Singer's drummer, he does a lot of these now. Uh, Bruce Kulick, who was a member during the non-makeup years, and it's more of an autograph session just for them, and the vendors are kind of secondary. So to have people like yourself from history, and a lot of the guys, Victor, JR, Lydia, to have all of them in the same room is a way different vibe than what the, the things that I've been involved in, in the last six or seven years. So more communal. It was more communal. Yes. Yeah, yes. I felt that too. I really liked that. I liked that a lot. Yeah, and uh, I think it brings out... Kiss fans, to me, are some of the coolest people I've ever met. And what's neat is... They know what you've done, and they can remember the, the classic lines and stuff, and you're a part of their childhood. They, they remember that type of stuff, and that's special when you can go to something that you saw when you were a kid, or even as an adult, and you, you see, I, I, I'm talking to that person and in, in person now. That is a very special feeling, and it brings back a lot of memories, and I think at a time when the economy isn't so great, to see this many people doing something like this is kind of special. Right, I agree. I mean, and, and people would, there were some guys who came up and said to me um, that they had a crush on me when they were little, and that, that, I thought that was so sweet. Right. But it had never occurred to me at all until I had done the podcast mm -hmm. and talked to Gary and Ken that that was even a, a thing. So I had to ask each of them, you know, what happened to us? <laughs> <laughs> why, why aren't we together anymore? I don't know. <laughs> it's sad, isn't it? But anyway, everybody was just so nice. Well, it's great. Um, on your personal level, what kind of projects do you have going? Uh, well, right now I am um, the editor at large of the Los Angeles Review of Books. Okay. And you know that that means I have a number of duties, and one of which is that I, I'm writing. I'm writing reviews of books, and another is that I am uh, on a development committee to fund the Los Angeles Review of Books, and we're a nonprofit, and we are encouraging people to read. Excellent. And we're encouraging discourse about reading and books, and. Um, 
I have a you know I have a book that I've been working on for a long time about Blondie that I, or my Blondie years basically uh, about being patient zero at CBGBs and you know with some of my photographs and working with Divine from Pink Flamingo. Yeah, and, yeah. And that that was like Oh, that's great. We'll be looking forward to that. Thank you. Anything else you'd like to talk about? Or? I'd just like to say hi, Gary and Kim. <laughs> I plugged you today from well, the I, stage. You're awesome. I told them that uh, I talked to you last night just briefly, and you said that they were really cool. And uh, I let Ken know that this morning, and <laughs> he was very happy. But uh, it was great talking to you. It's great to talk to you, too. And I uh, hope to see you again at one of these. I look forward to it. Ken, one more thing. You know that that uh, marimba version of Modern Day Delilah with the mallets that you had? Uh, yes, I love it. I love that. And um, I just want to give a shout-out to Travis Humbert, who is the guy who recorded that. And um, he did a great job. And he's going to actually be someone we might have on the show. He's got a really cool interview that he's trying to get. I don't want to spoil it because if we don't get it then people are going to be disappointed and if we do get it it's going to be a cool surprise plus I'm uh, dancing to this right now are you really? yeah right now as we speak I'm cutting a rug <clears throat> you gotta love that it's so cool it's excellent thank you Travis well there was another version that came out around that time wasn't there it was like a, a little kid boy playing the drums right yeah 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 that's cool stuff. Damn cool song, bro. That's oh, a great song. They open with that in Sacrament. See, it was a great show. It was a great show. It was a kiss show. And that is our show. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check us out on the web at www.podkiss.com. You can also find us on Facebook and on iTunes. If you'd like to contact the podcast, please drop us a line at podcast at gmail.com. Big thanks to Julian and everyone at kissfaq.com. They've got great information there and a terrific message board, too. Thanks also to Keith LaRue and everyone else at Kiss Online for their great work representing the hottest band in the land. And as always, a big thanks to Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Ace Fraley, Peter Chris, Vinnie Vincent, Bruce Kulick, Eric Singer, Tommy Thayer, and the memory of the late great Eric Carr, and the late great Mark St. John. You are KISS, and we are your army. Podkist is created by the KISS Army for the KISS Army, and it is available for free as an internet download. If you like what you hear on our show, go buy it and support the people who made it. Podkist is not affiliated with KISS or any of its members past or present. On behalf of myself, Ken, and the whole rest of the Podkist crew, Thank you for listening to Podkiss, the Kiss fanzine for your ears. Mm-hmm.